Welcome to the interview series, the first ever podcast by ICMP, the Institute of Contemporary Music Performance. I am Lara Magnelli and I'm your host and I am back once again for another interview. I have interviewed another one of our tutors. Her name is Megan O'Neill and she's been on my list for quite some time. She's an amazing artist, she's an amazing songwriter, she's worked on so many different projects and as many of our tutors, she's involved in so many different things. She covers many different roles, whether it's being a tutor at ICMP, co-writing with other artists, writing songs ad hoc for, let's say, sync projects. And in fact, she managed to get a couple of her tracks featured on hit Netflix shows. She provided a lot of advice for songwriters looking to get into that business. And overall, she described a lot her creative process, whether it's working on her own stuff, working with other people, working again on a brief. Then we also talked quite a lot about moving to London from Ireland, which is where she grew up in. She grew up in a very small town and she felt like she had to leave and moved first to Nashville, which is probably the songwriter's dream and then to London. She discussed a lot of the challenges that she had to face in London and the fact that she's now happier to be back in Ireland, although the time that she spent in London was really, really precious and really, really important, especially for her career development. I love the chat, as always. I must admit, all of my guests are amazing. They have been amazing. Our conversations are so insightful. So I really want to thank you. As always, if you feel like sharing this with your friends, sharing it on social media, if you know anyone who's into music, this podcast is for them. Happy listening. Hi, Megan. How are you? Very good, Lara. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Just a bit of a cold, you know, the seasonal kind of like struggle that we all get um and everyone is panicking because we think it's the sea thing I'm not gonna say it oh yeah there's there's a joke going around at the moment that everybody's got a novid so <laughs> <laughs> it's not COVID but we've all got colds I'm the same like anyone that's listening to this podcast is gonna be like is that Megan because she sounds like her voice has dropped an entire octave so um I'm in the same boat right now okay well thanks for doing it anyway despite our conditions oh, yeah. <laughs> clearly there's no escape and it's it's really nice to have you on the podcast of course uh, you've been on my list for a while so it's uh, I'm glad we got to uh, to find some time for this I want to talk about music because I always talk a lot about career and we're going to get to your career and your teaching at ICMP and all that but I really want to start from your musical upbringing so what were you listening to when you were growing up and who were the people and the artists and the genres and the kind of like things that felt like home and then you really wanted to get into? Yeah, so for me, I started, my, I come from a really musical family, which is pretty common in Ireland. Um, music's such a big part of our culture and it's just, it's such a part of a lot of households here and was a big part of my household. My mom is huge music lover and... Um, would have exposed me at a really young age to to music to and, and to incredible artists like Billy Joel and Jim Crochet and Carol King and Stevie Nicks and um Reba McIntyre, Trisha Yearwood, the list goes on. So um and actually I didn't really realise it at the time because, you know, you just think, oh I'm influenced by 
whatever I kind of grew up listening to but actually what my mom did for me which I have yet to to remember to thank her for is um she introduced me to a lot of really strong female figures in the music industry at a very young age and that probably had a really big effect on where I ended up going you know with my own music and I suppose feeling like that whole thing of you know if you can't see it you can't be it and I grew up seeing it all the time and listening to it all the time and um so I just I fell in love with music really young and with a lot of really great music um and my mom was then and still is obsessed with the lyrics like we'd be driving along in the car and she'd be listening to a song and she'd pause it and rewind on like a tape player back in the day and be like listen to that first listen to that lyric listen to what they said there and she'd be like because she'd find it so moving like the lyrics so moving and so I grew up falling in love with those stories as well and then that's kind of where I've positioned myself as a songwriter like the stories are are definitely the most important thing for me I feel like I'm I'm going slightly away from the question I'm not sure but influences wise um yeah so much of of that early stuff I was really influenced by I think the first record the first CD I had was the Dixie Chicks album Home which I listened to that thing until it literally set itself on fire because it was you know like so burnt out um, you know, I would have listened to a lot of like that Americana folk country world, um, soft rock kind of singer songwriter across the board, really. And um, yeah, that's kind of stuck with me all along. And I suppose my a lot of my influences have grown from there. I mean, first thing is, yes, the female kind of like presence there it's mega strong and it's so great because like for example I grew up mainly listening to a lot of white male music as many of us have you know what whatever you were exposed to and it was so great and refreshing to hear you know people like Stevie Nicks literally being there for you since the very beginning it's it's amazing mm-hmm. and of course you touched on you know growing up in Ireland and that's where you are now as well And I seem to understand that that was also something that, and it still is something that really influenced you, um, you know, personally and artistically. And I just want to know what's your relationship with your your home country when it comes to your art. And also, you can also get to a point where you, you can tell me how did you move away from Ireland in the first place? And went on to living in the US, if I'm not mistaken, Nashville, and then London as well. So two completely different places from, I guess, where you grew up in. Yeah, Ireland is so special to me. Much more so now than it was when I was younger. I think naturally when you're younger, you're like, you want to fly the nest and you want to see the world and you want to, you know, do all these different things. And I grew up in this tiny, tiny part of Ireland where I'm... I know everybody and everybody knows me and everyone knows your business and you know there's no there's no kind of there's no ability to be anonymous which you can be in a big city um and growing up in that I was kind of like I can't wait to you know 
for multiple reasons, but I couldn't wait to be in, in this kind of big city where everything was on my doorstep and I could kind of pick and choose what I wanted to do. And there was going to be more of a music scene. There was going to be more of a of a market there to tap into more genres, more songwriters from around the world. And um, so I moved to Nashville. Kind of I was straight out of college. And the thing about third level education in Ireland is it's free, pretty much free we pay like administrative costs. So um, it's, it's, it's a smart move in a lot of ways to go and get your, your college degree straight after school. And even though I wanted to go straight into performing, my parents were like, no, you're going to get like a, a real degree. And I went and studied psychology, um, which I loved, which I, you know, still, still am a big fan of that whole world. But I ended up getting a singing scholarship while I was at uni and basically did way more singing and performing than I actually ended up doing psychology anyway. So when I graduated, I was like, I'm gone. I've done the degree now. I'm like, you know, I'm off. So I was in Nashville for two years and then in London after that for five, um, which was kind of more like six because even when I left London, I was there every two weeks when I moved back here first. Um, but since moving back to Ireland, I have been the most creative I've ever been in my life and which is so funny because you can say that's a timing thing you can say that's an age thing you can say it's an experience thing and it can, it could be all of those things as well you know I've kind of reached this point in my career where I've been doing it a long time I've been writing a lot of songs for a long time I've toured all over the world I've lived in different places I've been influenced by a lot of different things and I'm older so I have I actually have something to say when I was when I was you know 21 22 I didn't like I didn't really have a whole lot of life experience then to be writing about which is why side note the ageism in the music industry is such a load of crap because actually when you're that bit older you have way more to say but um moving back here and being surrounded by you know green fields and being able to go hiking and running and swimming there's a river that runs through like the there's a farm right behind my house and a river runs through there and I'm not going swimming this time of year but you know in the summers and so for me personally being in nature is so important for my for my creativity and for my mental health and that was never something I had in London you know I had these beautiful big parks and I love like my entire time in London I loved it I loved so many things about it with any big city there's a bit of a love-hate relationship in that um where you know parts of it are really hard and then parts of it are amazing um but now I feel like I've kind of got the best of both worlds, both personally and for my career, because I have this beautiful space that I can work in and write songs in. And everyone's doing that over Zoom now anyway. And I'm an hour flight from London. Like I could leave here now and be in London by 6 p.m. So it's it's kind of the best of both worlds. And yeah, creatively, music wise, Ireland has given me lots of stuff to write about already you know in terms of leaving it and then coming back to it and you know how much I feel like I've fallen in love with Ireland since I moved back and um, fallen in love more with the culture more with traditional music more with the language everything um, and it's kind of given me this space again 
like physical space, like physical field space to think and be able to write and, and feel very creative. And when you did move to London, what were the, uh, the challenges that you were kind of like facing and how did you overcome then? And because, um, I, I mean, of course, you went to Nashville first and I think the songwriting community in Nashville is mega strong of course you know it's it's one of the reasons why we know about Nashville and people want to go to Nashville and so on in London uh there is definitely a strong you know artistic community of course that's the reason why we're here but how was it for you to um to just enter such a big city and find your own scene and you know did you have any connections what sort of like things you had to face I I think I cried every day for about three months when I first moved to London. I hated it. Hated it. I felt so lonely. I felt so like, God, this city is full of like, not very nice people. I know I'm not supposed to curse. I was going to say something else there. <laughs> But it's a tough place and it makes you tough. You have to be tough. And I wasn't tough when I went there. I was like, very soft I wanted to be nice to everybody I wanted to talk to everybody I come from tiny village in Ireland where you talk to everybody you know being in London I found really hard for the first while and I felt way more secluded and alone in London than I ever did in America which was so much further away um and even though I was an hour flight from my family and my friends at home I felt further away than ever um for me London really clicked into place when I started to like develop my own community there so when I put together a band and I had certain songwriters I worked with regularly and I found a management company and um I was starting to like be in different music circles around the city and I found a lot of friends and had a lot of friends outside of that and I think once you like find your people London can be amazing And, you know, once I kind of found my people, I had the best few years of my life, like amazing, just so much fun, something going on all the time. Um, but I don't think anywhere, I don't think you could live anywhere in the world that is perfect. There isn't a perfect place to be. Like being in Ireland, I love so many elements of it, but I miss the city and I miss the buzz and I miss, you know, being able to go out and see my friends gig every other night of the week or doing songwriting sessions in person. But I definitely, you know, I'm not a city girl. I'm not. And as much as I, as I was for a few years, um, now when I go back to London, I realize that I have two sides of me. Like London Megan is way more hardcore. She's like racing through the city and like, get out of my way. And just, I, I, I convert back into a harder version of myself when I'm in London, which is so mad because I never would have thought that. But now when I go back, particularly, you know, post pandemic, when I wasn't there for a year, a year ish, I noticed that change in myself that I, I become a harder person when I'm in London and it doesn't really suit me. Um, it works really well for, 
for the time that I need to be there for four or five days and I get in and I do what I need to do and I get out and I soak it up and I love it. Um, but it doesn't really suit me. I think I, I become, yeah, I become a bit hard and I, I like being a bit softer. Um, but my struggles in London, I think are like everybody's, you know, I had to work a, a nine to five job when I first moved there just to make ends meet. And then when I finally gave that job up, I, or sorry, didn't give the job, the jobs up. I had multiple different jobs to make ends meet. I then would have like a three day a week job or a temp job or work in a bar or whatever it was so that I could afford to make records and pay my rent and actually live in a very expensive city. Um, and that for me, I'm not going to say there was a hardest part. That for me was a hard part because it, it was, you know, nothing that I wanted to be doing, but I just had to do it to make ends meet for a while. Um, but overall, like when I look at l my life in London, I'm like, that was amazing. You know, there was, there was definitely challenges and struggles like there is with living anywhere, but London will always have an extremely special place for me in, in my heart. And I guess especially when it comes to music and songwriting, because you, you mentioned like having sessions in person and, and being able to just feel that buzz, that vibe that you get when you're like surrounded with a, you know, people like you, basically. It's, it's just, uh, it's priceless, I guess. It I mean, is. it does have a high price in London, but... <laughs> Yeah, but I think you just have to find what works for you. And some people are, you know, that's what I meant by like, it doesn't suit me to be, to be there is because I'm too attached to, to this world, to nature and space. And I'll never have that in London. And, and it's really good to, for me, this, this physical land space is really good for my songwriting. It's really good for my creativity. It's really good for my overall health. And you know, I now prioritize that being here than I more than I prioritize being in, in London. And so, but I think you have to find what works for you. Like what works for me now is a really good balance between both. And there will always be FOMO. There will always be like, oh my God, but there's such cool shit happening in London and I'm out there. There will always be that. But being able to kind of dip in and out and I can be there and I can get all my work done. Like my team are still in London, so I'm still there now once a month once every six weeks it will be more when things are like open open I think they're still trying to open quite a bit in a lot of ways in the music industry um particularly here but uh yeah it's about finding what works for you as an individual because yeah. it's definitely not going to be the same for everybody and we change as you were saying you know it's uh it's probably okay when you're younger or maybe you know yeah everyone's different um Now I just kind of want to move into your work. So I know that some of your songs have ended up on big TV and Netflix shows, which is amazing. So how did it happen for you? And what do you think it's, it's kind of like the way to make it happen if there's a way? Like what, what are the things that someone can do to push their music forward for something like this? Yeah, um, first of all, have really good songs, <laughs> which is, you know, the first step with it, with everything. Um, and I think having songs that are 
sometimes you can hear a song and go, oh my God, that, that'd be so perfect for sync. And I hear that all the time. And I'm like, I don't, and I say that all the time about songs I'm listening to. And I'm like, I'm not sure what makes that perfect for sync, but I just, something in me says that's perfect for sync. Um, it's like everything in the arts, an incredible, an incredibly competitive world, publishing and sync, particularly in recent years, because it kind of has become the way that a lot of artists break, you know? is like having a big featured song. Um for me with the with the most recent one which was um Firefly Lane on Netflix, I was actually approached by the by the show because they wanted uh, a version of Jim Crochet's Time in a Bottle by a female and they couldn't find any they liked, which is a real rare thing because they had something super specific and they wanted they wanted something super specific. They weren't kind of just trolling Spotify and looking for ambient chill where you would have a million options. They were looking for a specific song in a female vocal to be done in a specific way. And so with that, you know, I, I do know that a lot of female singer songwriters were approached to do it. Um, and so that's always the case when you're kind of approached by these briefs is it's a lottery. You're throwing your your name in the ring with, you know, a hundred other people to try and get the same thing. But that's that's the industry. Um I think there are kind of there are more ways into that world now. Um working with a specific sync agent or a sync house um is one avenue in, which is probably the one I would recommend over a publisher because working with a publisher to get in on sync you don't necessarily have um you you might end up signing over your publishing for a really small amount because your catalog isn't worth very much money whereas if you work with a sync house or a sync agent your cat and you, and you secure three four five six syncs in a netflix series or movie or a kids tv show or a fifa playstation game or something i don't even know if fifa is playstation but i think it might be and so if you secure those sinks then your catalog is worth more money and then therefore the publishers start to become interested and offer you more of an advance because your catalog is worth more money so realistically working with a sink first with a sink agent first is going to be more beneficial to you in the long run um and that's not a that's not an overarching piece of advice because it works differently every time. Um, sometimes really young writers with no cuts can be offered a really good publishing deal, but that's super rare now. That's not, that used to be a thing. Now it's very, very rare. So you're kind of better off holding on to your rights for as long as you can and not, you know, selling parts of your, your work away, um, for very little. Um, and there are there are amazing sync agents out there. There are independent sync agents, which if they love your stuff, they'll kind of start working with you. Um, and they can just be kind of solely working by themselves. There are big companies all around the world. There are obviously tons of them in the US because a lot of TV is made there, tons of them in the UK. But there are also loads of smaller independent sync houses around Europe and in Ireland and um and they can work really well too. Um I don't know that 
having knowing somebody obviously that like works on a show or having an into a show but that's a harder thing I don't know how you're gonna go and I don't know hang out on the set of Game of Thrones and be like yo do you need do you need a song um I'm not sure that works but but the sync companies are kind of but then there's also which I don't know a ton about this world so I'm not going to say very much about it but there are companies um like Music Gateway who are an online um kind of portal where you upload your music and you pitch it for sync um there's also and I'm, I can't remember the name of it right now but um a couple of different companies like that where you sign nothing exclusively um but they will you'll be able to pitch your stuff you and how many others um and they if you end up getting a sync they take a percentage it's definitely um something that a lot of artists aim to get to it's it's a really really amazing way to break into the industry as well Mm -hmm. so when you are working on a brief so because i know that you of course have your own songs and you are you know an artist and you go on tour and you perform and you've done a lot of that but you also work with and for other artists and also for for example sync projects so how's that process for you like let's say let's play this game let's say what's a day in your life like when you you know you're, you're given a brief and you're like this is what I need how do you approach that how what's the best way to approach it as well um it can be so different every time I think some briefs that you'll get will be super specific um other briefs will be like Harry Styles is looking for good songs and you're like okay well that really gives me nothing to go on but you know let's just see can we write a good song but briefs like that are not really they're not really giving enough direction for you to follow anything whereas other briefs they can be like we need a song that's 130 bpm and a female vocal or female top line and um is about travel then you can be like okay great that's like real specific things that I can kind of work with and so again it depends where the brief comes from sometimes it comes from people I'm collaborating with where you'll be in a songwriting session and they'll go hey I got a a list of briefs through today do you want to just try write a brief rather than write for ourselves um or it can be on as part of like a songwriter's retreat where you'll um the whole retreat will be built around writing for specific shows or um it could be six to ten artists or six to ten songwriters sometimes more where you'll each be kind of placed in rooms and given a brief for the day or sometimes you'll be working on it working on the brief by yourself so it's really different I think when they're more specific they're they're great because you can actually like anything like if somebody tells you to write an essay about uh Christmas you're like okay uh, that's fairly broad but if somebody tells you to write an essay about family dinner at Christmas with like a grumpy uncle you're like great that's specific like I know I can nail that so the more specific ones are are certainly you have a better place to start from and I, and I like those a bit better because of that <laughs> and how do you start working on it like do you have a a way that you sort of like get inspired by things like how do you tap onto those subjects and things that you kind of have to write about 
I have uh, multiple folders, whether they're on my phone or my laptop or um, copy books or, you know, stuff in the studio, like a whiteboard up there with a load of song ideas and titles and lyrics and half written lyrics and um, tons of ideas all the time. So I always have a load of lyric ideas and I think lyric ideas will come to me before anything else. They're always kind of front of my mind particularly as a top line writer. Um, so I tend to always start from what what is the song about? What is it about lyrically? What's the story? Because if I know the story is, you know, something that's leaning a bit more to a sassy breakup song or a melancholy, you know, reminiscent song, or it kind of, the story for me gives me a path to go down musically like what vibe we're gonna go um I play guitar and piano piano would be my first instrument so I would usually start writing on piano um sometimes switch between the two because you can like give your ears a break sometimes by switching up instruments and being like oh it's not really sitting with me really well on piano let's just try play it on guitar and see what comes out um so yeah and then if I work with other people somebody can be bringing in, hey, I've got this beat that I've been working on and you can start from a beat or I've got this piano melody or I've got this guitar riff. And then that guitar riff or melody or beat can start a whole spiral of ideas. If the guitar melody sounds like something Julia Michaels would do and it's got that real, like, if the world was ending vibe, you could be like, oh my God, let's go that real cool pop route. Or so... For me, it's always either a lyric or a melody. If I'm writing by myself, it's always a lyric that will spark the melody. But if I'm writing with other people, a lot of the time it can be a melody that sparks the lyric. And so I would write them, I would always write them together. I'm not a big fan of writing anything musical without a lyric or anything lyrical without a music without music because then you're trying to fit these two puzzle pieces together that might not fit together. So I like doing them at the same time. So I'm trying to think of you as like, you know, you do many different things and the approach is different every time, as you were saying. So when you're writing for yourself, you have your own way. If you're writing with someone else, maybe a different way, as you were saying, the melody, maybe coming first. If you're writing um, for a brief that you were given, it's a different approach. How do you um, switch to the different role that you have to um, get into and I want to know how do you fit the teaching role into this as well like where does it fit like how does it yeah. all fit together um I'm pretty good at like I don't know sectioning off a part of my brain to <laughs> to focus on one thing at a time like I'm a very um sometimes to my own detriment like I'm a very organized very like everything has a place person. And so if my Monday is an admin day, I'm getting all that admin done on a Monday. I am like, I am going to knock this admin out of the park. And then, and you have to be like, as, as an artist, when you're juggling so many different balls, like you have got to be on it. Otherwise it becomes really overwhelming. Um, and there's, 
nobody ever tells you that when you're going into a career in music that you have to have you have to be able to do five different jobs you have to be an accountant and a manager if you're self-managed for a while and a publisher and know everything about your rights and your own label and your own like it's just chaos um but I everything that I do is still creative you know even if it's teaching it's still creative so it's still that side of my brain that I get to use um even if it's not necessarily me writing a song it kind of still is in a way because if you came to me with a song and you were like I'm really struggling with just figuring out the second verse the way that I would help you to figure that out is the same way that I would help myself to figure it out if it was my session so it's still you're still wearing a very creative hat you're still putting it on and saying okay you know I'm bringing myself into this session I'm just bringing myself in in the teacher's chair rather than the songwriter's chair a little bit um and songwriting is a really funny thing to teach because I don't think we teach it I think we just facilitate it I don't think there's you can't teach like you can teach a lot of elements of it at the end of the day a song in any genre has the same bone structure like it's the same you're telling a story whether you tell that musically or lyrically you're telling a story and you're invoke you're evoking um emotion in the listener so whether we decide to write an instrumental classical piece or we decide to write a massive pop song that's got like a, a you know breakdown in the chorus that just repeats the same line five times the the verse and that chorus and together with the music still has to tell a story it still has to be received so that's it still has to translate um and I suppose through ICMP I've worked with like such a range of songwriters and musicians you know so many incredible writers who are just trying to figure out where they sit um where their genre is going to be a lot of people a lot of young songwriters don't really know yet which they shouldn't know yet no like I sometimes still don't know where I sit as a musician because we're constantly evolving and growing and changing and wanting different things and influenced by different musicians and artists and bands and it's natural we're not like you know wooden statues we have to grow and evolve and change and if we don't do that we might as well just quit because standing still does nothing you know um and so a lot about facilitating songwriting is actually just helping somebody to grow confidence in their own abilities so much of it is that because so many young songwriters just don't have that yet which is fine that takes time um and is also just about readjusting sometimes like somebody can have a fantastic idea for a storyline but it's not really translated very well or the the rhyme structure is not as good as it could be or you know the evolution from section to section is not growing the way that it should the chorus isn't popping the way that it should whatever there's so many you know layers to a song and so I think when you're when you're working with students and helping them to improve their songs 
it's like breaking it down section by section and been like, okay, now that you're seeing your creation from my eyes, is that pre-chorus as good as it could be? Is that chorus saying what you want it to say? Like, could that bridge go somewhere else that'd be a lot more interesting in a chord structure? It's just so many. You have to approach every song and every student really differently. In terms of what teaching gives you, I suppose, especially because of the the subject, so songwriting, as you were saying, you can teach some elements, but it's it's different with everyone and it's such a a journey rather than just, you know, you giving out to them and that's it. Mm. What does teaching give you? So much. It can be so inspiring. It can be amazing to work with young songwriters who are just particularly when they don't know they're good yet. And then they submit a song and they're like, oh, but it's only a demo vo- version and the scratch vocal and it's not where I want it to be. And then I listen to it and I'm like, holy shit, that's class. Like, that's so good. And that can be so inspiring because you're understanding that you're actually helping somebody to realize that they have those abilities. And, you know, in a way I'm like, God, I wish someone did that to me when I was 17. I had no idea what I was doing. But... That's all a part of it. And I think for me as well, I, it makes me realize that I actually do know quite a bit. <laughs> I think sometimes it like when you're doing your own thing all the time and we have, we have as creatives weird jobs, like we have to show up every day and face self-doubt and self-criticism and you know get over whatever imposter syndrome we all have and I know the amount of artists I know at a very high level that still have it and I'm like hang on a second you're telling me that you're you know a tier above me and you still have self-doubt the whole my whole plan is when I get there I won't have (laughs) self-doubt and you just think you just think when you're a certain amount of successful it will go it never goes and so we tackle a lot every day we show up. Every single day we show up, we tackle a lot. And so sometimes through teaching, when I am actually helping somebody to create something and whatever advice I give and whatever help I give actually allows them to create something better, I'm like, oh my God, I kind of do know what I'm doing. <laughs> So it can be it can be a good realization that way too. It's a great reward, for sure. On this really really nice note, I'm gonna let you go. I just want to know what keeps you busy now. What are you up to? Because I know that you were, you were touring and you have a lot going on as always. Just want to know what are you doing exactly these days? Yeah, I am. Um, I've just finished. Yeah, my my kind of touring season for 2021 so I was in Germany and the UK and Ireland um lots of gigs which are also pretty difficult when you're so not match fit after a pandemic you're like I think we were three shows in and we were like oh my god we're so tired <laughs> how are we gonna do this um but yeah that was amazing amazing to get back out and tour and now I'm actually working on um new music so I'm releasing really different uh, music than I've ever released before it's kind of a new era 
um, and that's starting from January. So I have a Christmas single coming out and then from January onwards for the whole of next year, there will be a, a single release every eight weeks. There'll be a bunch of shows. Um, next year is going to be going to be pretty, pretty crazy. Um, next week I'm filming a, a TV show here in Ireland and yeah, I actually came back from tour kind of going, I'm going to take a step back for a minute and I don't actually ever think that's truly possible. <laughs> I am, I'm doing less because I, my, my brain and my body really needs a little bit of, of time to recover from what the last two years have been. But, um, there'll be a lot of things in motion between now and next February when the next, when the next gigs are. So. Which is only two months away, kind of, so yeah. <laughs> Don't say that. <laughs> No, it's great. Two months is a long time. You'll be you'll be amazing. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed the conversation. Me too. Thank you. <laughs>